So, good morning. Is that on? Yes. Good morning again, and welcome to all of us this morning. So, let's just take a couple of minutes to just settle in before we start our morning practice with the next set of five body parts. So before we are moving into the next set of body parts, I just want to say a few words about um, loving kindness and compassion practice with the body parts. So in your, on your one-page sheet, um, there's really the invitation to uh, end with loving kindness, to bring kindness to the body parts, really make that part of the entire practice. Um, And I just want to be a little bit more specific on how to do that, how to practice loving kindness or compassion with um, this body. And for that, I think the most important piece first to notice is that, um, so loving kindness is well, uh, well wishing, wishing well. Um, the practice of wishing well ourselves and others. And then when we're practicing loving kindness for 
body parts, we would wish these body parts well. And loving kindness uh, turns into compassion when it encounters pain or suffering. So it's the same um, source. It's the same, it springs from the same source. And it's really a response, a response in that moment to whatever is here. So depending on whether it's more like maybe there's already well-being there, whether it's more like a neutral feeling, so then we would practice loving-kindness. But if there's pain or if there's suffering, that just automatically uh, transforms into compassion. And compassion is really the heartfelt wish for this suffering to end and the willingness to be with this suffering. So making our presence not dependent on the... um, the end of the suffering. So it's not like this, like I'm here, uh, but you need to end. The suffering needs to go away. And it makes a lot of sense, usually when we practice compassion for others, right? We are there for them regardless whether their suffering ends or not. But when it is for our own suffering, it often feels like we practice compassion a little bit like a kind of a trick in order to make the suffering go away. Just the same as I was saying last night with the, uh, with the hindrances, right? That we're not practicing our resistance against the hindrances, but we're really practicing being with, being with. So the question always comes back to, how can I be with this right now in the most loving and open way possible? And sometimes it's, it feels that's impossible, and that's okay too. But so it's like this really continuous um, coming back to like, how about now? How about now? And every moment is a new, new moment and a new opportunity to practice that. Um, another thing that can be really important, like we touched on that in the instructions for the other body parts, it's really um, supportive touch can be extremely helpful. So that's something you can try for yourself. It's very well known that we know like like a hand on a shoulder from a friend or a loved one can make all the difference in the world or having our hand held. And there is really something that to at least to some extent we can also give that to ourselves. So it's the same kind of, we are hardwired actually We have receptors in our skin that are wired to receive loving and supportive touch. Mm. And that is something we can actually also, again, to some extent, do for ourselves. So that's something that you can try out. If you haven't done that yet, you can hold your own hand. You can put, especially when it gets hard or challenging or you feel a little bit wobbly or vulnerable, put a hand on your heart to do that. Or as we're moving through the body parts to really um, put a hand on the part that hurts or put a hand where there is suffering and just see if that makes a difference. Okay. So let's go into the third set So this morning we will work with heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, and lungs. And so we are starting out again with um, reciting it five times 
out loud and then five times silently. So heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, 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 and five times silently. We're starting with the heart. So the color is red. The shape has traditionally been described like a lotus bud. The direction is above the waist. And the location is on the left side of the chest. The elimination is bordered by lungs and the back. And it's behind and a little bit to the left, behind the sternum, the breastplate bone, and the ribs. And the definition is a hollow, muscular, contractile, 10 ounce organ, and it's the center of the circulatory system. So the heart beats around a hundred thousand times per day and about 37 million times a year. It's responsible for the pulse and the entire body. And it pumps over 300 quarts of blood an hour. It provides propulsive force to circulate blood through the vascular system over 60,000 miles a day. 
creates enough pressure to squirt blood 30 feet. It pumps the oxygen, poor blood, into the lungs and then the oxygenated blood back into the entire body. culture it's seen as the seat of love talk about heartache and a heart, a broken heart. heart The next one on the list is the liver. So the color is pinkish brown. 
The shape is like an oblong ball. It's convex on the upper margin and concave in its lower margin. It's above the waist. And the location is in the upper right quadrant of the abdominal cavity, resting just below the diaphragm, lies to the right of the stomach and overlies the gallbladder. So if you put your hand on kind of where your ribcage ends on the right side, it's kind of under there. It's mostly actually under the protection of the ribcage there. Surrounded by digestive organs, circulation, respiration in the back. In the definition, it's the largest internal glandular organ in the body. It's about three to three and a half pounds and the size of a football. In the function, the liver is first to receive blood from the intestines where the blood has absorbed the final products of digestion and breakdown. And the liver removes toxic products and purifies digestion and assimilation. And it incorporates amino acids or breakdown from protein into energy production. And it synthesizes cholesterol as well as lipoproteins for the transport of fat to other body tissues. Converts fatty acids so they may be used as energy sources. And it stores and releases sugar. And it stores copper iron, vitamin B12, and the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. And it excretes bile. liver
The next one is the diaphragm. So it is um, a thin layer that separates the chest from the abdomen. And so in order to experience that a little bit, we can't really feel it, but we can move it. So when we are really deeply inhaling, so that the belly is really pushed out, (coughs) that is partly the diaphragm's work. The diaphragm is pulling down so to make space for the expanded lungs. It puts more pressure on the abdomen. And then as we're exhaling, the diaphragm is moving up. So you can, if you care to just do that, like exhale all the way out, all the way out, all the way out. And then the diaphragm is like moving up more, compressing the lungs in the chest. One of this, its main functions is to help us breathe. The color is red-white. And the shape is like a thin, wide, elastic membrane shaped like a beanie (laughs) above the waist. And the delimination is the diaphragm is bordered by abdomen and chest. It extends across the bottom of the ribcage. The function is it contracts to promote inhalation and it flattens downward permitting the lungs to expand And it relaxes to promote exhalation, rising to its dome-shaped position, compressing the lungs. It is also involved in non-respiratory functions, like helping to expel vomit, feces, and urine from the body by increasing intra-abdominal pressure. And it's also preventing acid reflux by exerting pressure on the esophagus. And it also helps with um, enhancing blood and lymph returns to the heart. Diaphragm.
The next one is the spleen. So in a way it's on the other side from the liver. So it's on the, the left upper quadrant of the abdomen. It's a lot smaller than the liver, so like a medium water balloon. <laughs> it's dark red, direction above the waist. And its illumination is bordered near the intestines, chest and back. And the definition is an elongated sponge-like tissue organ. And its function is to some part blood formation and acts as a reserve for blood cells and some support of immune function. And you can live without your spleen. You would just be more susceptible to some infections. But unlike most other organs, it's not a vital organ. Spleen.
And for the last one of this set, we're coming back to the chest, to the lungs. So the color is between whitish to dark red. The shape is like two long melons cut in half. Surface area of the lungs is approximately the same size as a tennis court. Above the waist, in the chest, And the delimination is bordered by abdomen, rib cage, back, and the heart in front. And the definition, two cone-shaped spongy organs of respiration. And the lungs is one of the internal organs we actually can experience quite well. Or in a way by proxy, because what we actually feel is we feel the air and the nose, the throat, and then we feel the expansion of the ribs and the belly. Which is a sign of the lungs expanding. We don't actually feel the lungs. We might feel them when we have an infection and then breathing can become painful. So the function, the primary purpose is to bring air and blood into intimate contact so that oxygen can be added to the blood and carbon dioxide can be removed. So this is achieved by two pumping systems, one moving gas and the other liquid. During a 24-hour period, the average human will breathe about 
23,000 times. An average amount of breaths per minute is like between 18, 80, 18, and 20, which is more than 10 million times per year. Lungs.
So um, before uh, we want to open the floor to some questions, um, two announcements. So one, please make it to all the meditation sessions here, including the morning one. Um, so we hope by this time you are rested enough to um, get up and to be here. And we are chanting the, the, whole, um, the whole set in English. So we do like 10 minutes of chanting. We start the morning with that and um, then sit for 10 minutes and we get to hear Bob um, um, chanting it in Burmese Pali. <laughs> So the other question, I, I got a question which I would like to address because I think that more people have the question. So the purpose of not writing, note-taking, and reading, uh, to just say a little bit more about that. And so the most important piece is the not reading because the reading is really, it's um, like everything you need to know you already bring or we're talking about it here so we give you actually lots of input and so we really do not want you to read so even if it's a dharma book so if you're because you you just don't need extra input and often when we read it is a distraction so just to be aware right to notice and i'm sure you've noticed that like that like when you're not reading your mind is really hungry to read and you read like obsess like every little sign and like you read the back of the peanut butter jar have you noticed that or like what's on the tea label <laughs> or something so i i notice always when i i always do that like every letter like my eyes go like oh, letters <laughs> um and so just being aware of that and then the writing and note taking so one thing is it's fine for you to take notes a few notes if you want like during the dharma talks or also like after meditation i think sometimes it can actually be helpful to just write down something so in particular if there was a very um if you had a meditation that kind of stood out so sometimes it can be important to actually write it down in order not to forget it or at least that that's my experience because there are then so many like more meditation and just like goes down um, flows down the river and I know other teachers have a different opinion on that they say like basically you don't like whatever is really important you will remember and if you don't then oh well <laughs> and um, so just be aware, so usually why we say this is with the journaling, that, uh, because journaling can really become a distraction. And it can be that we're really also journaling in order to distract ourselves from something like a feeling that actually might be helpful to be with or to, to sit with. And so that's, that's why we give these, um, these instructions. Anybody wants to add to that? Um, also, just about the journaling, um, many times uh, when you're journaling, you're kind of telling the narrative story of me, of you. 
like I did this, this happened to me, I ate this, I had this awesome insight, etc. And part of the power of this practice is um, this different way of knowing that we're developing and actually trying to see beyond the narrative story that we have about our lives into the direct experience. So it's not because either reading or writing is like inherently um, unethical or a problem outside of retreat, but for the conditions of retreat, because we're trying to sort of see through that story about uh, me that we're usually very caught in, uh, it can be helpful to let go of that and yeah, notice what is there through direct experience. Any questions this morning? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.